Today's episode is also a video interview, so check it out at erichunley.com or just find Eric Hunley on YouTube. There you'll find not only this video interview, but also live streams that I do every week with some really dynamic people, including this past week, Jim Clemente, the retired FBI profiler and Criminal Minds producer writer. Now, these live streams are only available on the YouTube channel, and I really hope you take the time to check them out. Now, today's story is with Jared Cohn. Jared Cohn had the rare opportunity to create the movie Street Survivors about the plane crash that killed members of the world-famous rock band Leonard Skinner. Sadly, though, it took him years to actually get the movie to come to fruition. The movie comes out June 30th, but his story is almost as interesting as the movie itself. I present to you, Jared Cohn. My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we're joined by Jared Cohn, and Jared Cohen is a filmmaker, and he has a story. How are you doing today, Jared? Um, doing all right. Today's one of those uh, everything go wrong, turn crazy kind of days for me, but uh, I've had a few of those before. So you've got some I'm practice, a- don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny. Yeah, just I've got practice. I'm, so I don't even really get too crazy. I think the goal is to not get too crazed when everything around you is crazy. <laughs> okay, so now you just. You're releasing the film Street Survivors next week, correct? June 30th, Tuesday. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, One week today. Today is Tuesday. So exactly. You're right. Exactly one week. Well, fantastic. Now, what's interesting about this is you picked up and started doing this film in 2017, which I believe was to coincide with the 40th anniversary of the plane crash that took out Ronnie Van Zandt and a couple other members of the band, correct? Yeah, it was originally, we were originally going to have this 40th year anniversary thing, and then, you know, that that plan fell apart. All right, let's walk back a little bit. How how did you meet Artemis Pyle and get the story? So it was all happened through Brian Pereira, who is the CEO of Cleopatra, records who is and who who is who signs who represents artemis piles band there's a mm. band called the artemis pile band they are a fantastic band they play the leonard skinner songs and their own original songs they're on cleopatra's label i work with cleopatra uh doing movies and music videos and someone somehow before I got involved, got to talking about doing a Leonard Skinner movie and it, as it materialized, I was brought in as the director, writer and director. And I got to spend time with Artemis working out a script, you know, reading and doing as much research as I can to write a, screenplay about this how was that by the way to not to interrupt but you're writing a screenplay about somebody's life now i know you've written other screenplays i think you've kind of come out of the horror genre a little bit yeah coming yeah i've done some horror movies i've done a bunch of horror movies definitely yeah i've done other a bunch of other movies 
that are not horror movies as well. But yeah, yeah, I've, I've definitely done some horror movies. So what was that like writing, though, for a real person? Because now, you know, you're making up voices in your head when you write a normal script. But in this script, yeah. you're trying to write it in actual people's voices. Did you keep that in your mind to think of vocal patterns and phraseology? I spent a lot of time, um, you know, listening to interviews, hearing the band, actual band members. It was a massive research undertaking. I, I read everything about the band, listened to every interview, watched every documentary, listened to all the music. And the music, you know, you, you, you not that you can hear dialogue voices and music, but you get a, a feel for the times what's going on. We're in the South, we're in the seventies talking to Artemis and getting his input. So it was a lot, it was very extent. It was ex extensive research uh, project. I, I, I likened it to someone's thesis paper as, as sort of a, a homework assignment to become educated enough to where you can attempt to be confident about writing a movie about people who who die before I was born. Um, so it, it, there's definitely a responsibility and, and a, 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 a tough task, so to speak. What can you tell me about the band? I mean, just your general impressions. I, I did some research because I, I watched the movie, and I, I didn't remember the band being the major partiers. I always thought of The Who as throwing the um, TV sets out the window and things like that. Turns out when I did a little bit of research, yeah, Leonard Skinner apparently showed The Who some tricks. What are some other things that you learned or, or general um, impressions? I mean, the Ronnie Van, those, those guys were wild. I mean, insane. Like, it it's hard to like hearing some of the stories you're just like wow i wish i did that that sounds that is awesome like just partying do you have an example story man tra i mean like literally getting kicked out of so many hotels that it became problematic to for them to book like 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 people jumping out of windows um like things getting everything's you know lit on fire, destroyed, arrested, nonstop getting arrested. Like they were like, like I mean to give specific examples, it's just you know most of it is you're partying, you're you're getting into fi fights, you're doing any kind of drug possible. Like these guys lived the extreme rock and roll uh, lifestyle. Uh, I mean, they were getting, they were in the overseas getting into fights group. Uh, I mean, Ronnie was just notorious for fighting and Artemis was notorious for being on acid all the time. And everyone else is just, you know, doing, they're just doing Coke and like drinking and being so messed up that when it, like time come time to play, like you can't imagine these guys being able to put on a show, but yet when the music for some reason you hear this and, and it makes sense, like when the, you know, when you know, the stage lights up and you got huge crowd fill, you're able to just boom, just rock. Um, was it true that they had to have somebody, a roadie or somebody yell the order of the songs from behind the stage because they were so messed yeah, up? I mean, that no, 
no, uh, when it came to the music, I, I never heard that. Um, they were so well rehearsed that they know they knew they could play these songs. Um, and that was one thing about Ronnie, though, that was that he demanded they rehearse insanely. So they were, I guess, when they weren't partying, they were. He was making so Ronnie was basically ran ran the ran the band like it was Ronnie. You know, Ronnie was the leader, the un untested leader, undisputed, undisputed. And yeah, they they he, they, they would rehearse so long and. and so it wasn't like you, you listen to them play live and you listen to their song and it sounds very similar. Uh, like they're not like a uh, like fish, whereas like they'll record a video version. They're tight, super tight. They're tight. They were tight. They were tight, and 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 that was one thing that everybody, you know, I read various contradicting stories, but everyone can agree that Ronnie demanded uh we're gonna rehearse this shit 12 hours today and tomorrow and the day after uh so that was one thing yeah they kind of had to be though right with three guitars that's a pretty complex arrangement yeah yeah it was a big band some of you know the music three guitar yeah yeah you had yeah at that point yeah 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 and then you had ed king who was also and rotating members that, that needed to pick up um so yeah and they had a lot of songs so and they had a lot of hits but they they always came through they they played with the stones and okay now artemis and that's something that's kind of through the story i guess he was almost hired on as a studio guy that got picked up by the band or he came later in the band is that true he was not the original artist, was not the original drummer. Bob Burns was. Um, that's it. Bob Burns, going back to how they were partying, yeah, he partied really hard and kind of jumped out of a hotel window. I mean, who knows if that's what something, happening. Some, something else might have happened to him, but he basically kind of went went uh, off the reservation to see more than said. And they brought in Artemis, and yeah, from then on, he was he was the, he was the dude rocking out. Okay, so flash forward, you know, forty something years later, because I think Artemis joined like seventy four or five. Artemis was playing with Cleopatra Records. Now, I thought Cleopatra kind of did a lot of punk and gothic and that style of music. Was it unusual to have Artemis Pile Band in there? No, no way, no way. Brian is uh, per- Brian Pereira, you know. Th- Cleopatra Records. He is. He's got hip hop. Right? He's got country. He's got. Uh, hmm, okay. And their roster of artists are, is uh, incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, rock certainly, punk, goth. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of some. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to think of a genre they they don't have. I mean, they just, jazz. They've got jazz. Oh wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, maybe they're not doing film scores then. I don't know. No, no, they've got. They're doing lots. Of, they produce the movie. They've got composers. They're they do. They've been independent, one of the largest independent record labels since 1992. So, um, how did you get hooked up with them? Um, yeah, I was uh, um, introduced to Brian, and actually, him and I are you know great friends. He's just saw him the other day, and 
I'm going to see him at the uh, premiere. Having a, we're having a little uh, shindig out here in Los Angeles, June 30th when the movie comes out. But yeah, no, I've done I've done a few. I did spot. This is like my fourth movie with them, and I oh, yeah, hopefully I'll do. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to work with Brian again. He's, I mean, he's 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 the rock star. I mean, I don't know if, he, if he, Brian walks around, he looks like you know he got he's, he wears the very cool Mick Jagger style. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's, he's he he is the Ross. <laughs> That's cool. He represents now. So in 2017, you got the movie, and I think you started filming in April. Did you film the entire movie and have it in the can and were looking into dis- distribution and all that when things went awry? What happened? We we kind of knew that Judy Van Zant, the widow of Ronnie's, uh, the widow of Ronnie Van Zant, was going to kind of come after us. We didn't know to what extent, but we also knew that we had a right to make Artemis's life story. It's his story. She didn't have, she couldn't stop legally from doing that, but we kind of knew that she was going to try. What made you guys know that? Does is, is she have a history of this or what? Yeah. And technically Artemis had uh, signed a document basically saying he can't profit from Leonard Skinner, which is odd. Uh, and he, he only signed that document because technically he did never, he never had a official record, a record deal with their record label. It was a handshake deal. Mm. Ronnie that he did. Uh, so that kind of came back and uh, I don't want to say bit him in the ass, but you knew it going in though, that that arrangement was there, but we ran the risk because, uh, um, you know, we wanted to make it was we wanted to make this movie, and we had the right to tell Artemis Pyle's life story, which happens to involve very much Len, the band Leonard Skinner and the plane crash. As if you were to make a movie about someone's life, that would involve that. Is that why you filmed it the way you did? Where I noticed that he was in every single scene, save one, which involved Aerosmith's um talking about the plane yeah yeah this is very much artemis piles he is the lead main character and he was he ultimately played you know the biggest role in terms of helping people after the plane crash in terms of seeking help so yeah he was a marine he, right the man was a marine was he a no it's a good question was he a no he's of the you age know? that's why i didn't know Maybe I, you know what? For some reason, uh, I don't know why I don't know that. Uh, um, I know he was an, you know, he was an aviation sergeant, but he could have been, you know, did he do not? Maybe I don't know. That's a good question. Okay, I thought that the military training may have come in, whether it's a nom or otherwise. He probably had medic training, things like that, and it was reflected in his actions. Absolutely. I mean, if you're a marine then you definitely know how to, you know, set, tie people's bones up in a tourniquet. And you're most likely going to be, like, in very good physical shape if you've kept up to some extent with your training. Right, and it's mostly about a a mental toughness because he was injured, if I recall, from the um, actual crash itself and then wound up even more injured when he was trying to get help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, mental toughness is paramount. 
because you're, if your best friends just, you know, a lot of them died and are very wounded. It's, it's not just, you're not just running a, a mile. You also have to like manage that psychologically. So, and he is to this day, very mentally tough and sharp. And he's, you know, he's very well put together and, and on it, like, you know, of his age, by far anyone better than, you know, everyone. There's only one other surviving member, Gary Rossington. And he's been having some, unfortunately, some health issues. You know, I hope he uh, recovers. Did you, uh, did you, did Rossington and Pyle get over it? Because I think Rossington was also involved with the suit against him, right? No, I don't think he was. He wasn't named on anything. Uh, I think that was something that Judy Van Zandt basically said, you know, let's loop Gary in somehow. But I don't think, I, I think Gary and Artemis, if they would have just, just meet up and spoke, everything would have been fine. But uh, Judy prevented all this from happening. Okay. To Artemis of now, though, I mean, that's a pretty, I cannot imagine surviving an incident like that. How is he? Does he have flashbacks? Does he have PTSD from this? I don't know how he you know, was afterward. We only know the immediate. How is he? It's a good question. You know, he's, I, I think he's in a really good place. You know, he gets emotional, you know, could, could possibly get, you know, when thinking about it. But considering that, like, all the other band members got really heavily into, like, drinking and illegal narcotics to perhaps cope with this tragedy i think he all in all is doing really really well and he's physically healthy like he's mentally sharp so did he go the other way like maybe maybe such a traumatic experience kind of pulled back to his core and he had to come back out of it and i don't want to say cleaned up his life but i mean they, they were partying they were crazy all that maybe he became a little less crazy after uh, you know, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, I think of all the, like, he was always, like, there were people that were just, like, crazy getting into trouble, crazy, like, but I, I think Artemis, he was always, he was always, like, the guy that was there, and he's always, he was always, he would always party, and, you know, and do some of the drugs, but he never, he was not, like, he would always, like, know when, kind of, time to get some sleep, and, the shows the next day, like he was never, he wasn't of the wild, he wasn't one of the wildest ones. But he, but that being said, he was still pretty wild. <laughs> I heard trapeze into the crowd or under the stage, yeah. and but it sounds like he, he almost was doing it for the show necessarily, and not as much after the show. I think I read he often would be the one to break up fights. Yeah, exactly. Artemis would, he, he'd be breaking up fights. He would go to his room and, 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 you know, set up his hotel room as like his special place and wouldn't have anybody else in there with, with him. He would always go to something. He would always go party at somewhere else and then go back and, you know, he'd do acid and, and smoked a lot of weed and, 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 but his thing was like weed and, you know, and, so, uh, you know, and he was like, you know, has had his Marine background. So he wasn't, you know, it, it makes sense why he would always kind of not be too bad, too self-destructive. Do you still talk to him now? Yeah, yeah, I should I give him a call, you know, and I've been meaning to call him, you know, since the movie's coming out on, on Tuesday. 
Yeah, he's a great dude, you know? And if there's anyone that deserves a movie to be made about their life, it's Artemis Pyle, by far. Because, A, he was a rock star. B, he was in a famous, tragic plane crash. Took the life of uh, lives, you know? So, hopefully the movie... Yeah, I mean, I'm just a filmmaker. I did the best I could to tell the story in a movie, but ultimately, um, I mean, I, I, hopefully the movie does does some of that justice, whatever that means, you know? Right, and wouldn't you say, though, this was kind of your big movie? I mean, obviously you're going to have probably bigger movies down the road, but wasn't this sort of your breakout movie to full mainstream? I hope so. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. I really hope so. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, I mean, this the movie making industry is a a, a very uh, peculiar thing, and hopefully, this I'll be able to do uh, bigger budgeted projects because this movie will hopefully garner some whatever it is. That, but that's the goal. That's that's the artist's dream is to be working uh, on you know sure. the top. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you want you want butts in the seat. I mean, why would you do it if you don't want people to watch it? it it's kind of a, obviously you want to be successful, but I can only imagine though the the frustration. Now you knew going in there it could be legal issues, but you yeah. you shot this movie. I'm guessing it was in the can, and somebody went to court and said stop distribution or, or shut it down. Or what happened? What what exactly happened? It was actually, it wasn't, we were still on set when we first found out that the, some motion or, or, or something or other was filed. And it was interesting because it was like our last, you know, like three or four more days left to go. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, I get, you know, getting calls on set, like they, they just basically served us legally and they want us to stop you know, everything delete. They're requesting that we delete the footage and we go, go home and listen to that. I'm like, <clears throat> well, you know, we've come this far. We got to finish the damn movie. And, and who can, and knowing that we have a great argument, I thought on, and honestly, to be honest with you, I, I thought, uh, we were going to completely like this case was going to get thrown away. I mean, like we have the first amendment, right. To be able mm-hmm. to tell the story. So right away, I'm like, this is, I I dismissed it. The reality is I actually kind of dismissed it when, uh, and I'm kind of glad I was in that state of mind because maybe I wouldn't have given it my all. And, and But I dismissed it. I was like, all right, whatever. They're going to, the judge is going to look at this and he's going to throw it out. Right. This is an important thing to talk about, though, because I think a lot of people think, Oh, no, I have the right. I have freedom of speech, and you have to prove. But the fact is, you have the right to fight against it. So you have an affirmative defense, but you still have to go to court. You still have to hire the attorneys. You still have to fight against the people who are trying to shut it down or saying you're taking copyrighted material or whatever it is. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I think they realize they can say, oh, no, this is fair use or oh, no, this is such and such, but you still have to go to court to actually fight it. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the legal system is favors the people with money because 
you he, you can sue anybody because and, and and you could you can sue anybody and it's their responsibility for them to defend themselves right and so if i'm if i just say to you i say eric you stole my story and you know i look at something that you've written or whatever anything mm-hmm, sure I go look at your logo behind you, and I go, you, I go, I made that logo. I'm suing you, and you owe me, you know, hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, what the, what are you, the hell are you talking about? I'm just, and I demand you like react to the legal cases, and I put together like this fifty page document. Now all of a sudden, you you have to like contact an attorney because you're you have no idea what the hell is going on. So it's and you have to like appear in court and this and that. And, and I go, actually, you know what? Just give me 10 grand and, and, and uh, we'll call it cool. And you might actually be inclined to give me 10 grand because it's such a headache. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's a shakedown. Did that happen with you? What, what was Brian doing? I imagine Brian was involved with you in helping guide you on what to do, not to do. I mean, he's obviously a, a very powerful, strong businessman. It's a, and it sounds like he was prepared that something would go down. Brian. Yeah. He has a great foresight. He has, he's very, very smart, very smart guy. He kind of actually foresee, foresaw further than I could. Cause when, you know, when you first get like, you know, served and subpoenaed and, or deposed, you, you, you kind of freak out, but sure. you kind of got to know that whenever you're like making money, and you're doing like things that like you're going to start to get into a space where there's going to be, law, you know, going to people are going to want, you know, try to go to lawsuits and sue you and this and that. So, yeah, it was a, it's a freak out. It's a freak out moment. And like, what are you going to do? Not be stressed out about it. But probably, yeah, probably you shouldn't, because if you're if you're doing you know, significant financial projects. So when we got sued, we went on, we continued the movie and we went to court. And then when we lost the lawsuit. Okay. So what happened? Let's break that down because I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead in the story. You went to court and from what I understand, the judge wasn't who you expected. Yeah. Well, I gave, okay. So yeah, let me talk about the judge. So the judge, so the part of the reason this whole lawsuit existed was because uh, in the 80s Artemis signed a document saying, you know, basically saying, I, I, I can tell my life story, but I, I can't sell like Leonard Skinner CDs and other, or, or profit off their their name entirely. <clears throat> but And the judge who did that document was the same judge who oversaw this new court case about this movie, which is completely unfair to have the same judge and so he ruled against not in our favor because he already had this prior relationship with uh judy as a matter of fact didn't this um i think is relevant though he uh finished his ruling with the statement cleopatra is prohibited from making this movie about leonard skinnard when his partner substantially contributes to the par- project in a way that in the past he willingly bargained away the very right to do just that in any other circumstance cleopatra would be 
quote, free as a bird to make and distribute its work. Yeah, it was a little ridiculous. Um, not a little snarky on his end. I mean, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that judge recently passed away. Uh, rest in peace. He was actually 96. Wow. But yeah, rest in peace. But then the the two the three new judge when we appealed, it went to th- um, three new judges in the second circuit court, and luckily, upon reviewing the previous judge' uh, terrible decision, they overturned it. Do you think uh, what I just read though those words maybe actually helped you get it overturned because of the snarky factor? It- might have shown uh, a bit of a bias in there to the other judges. And that's interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, because, I mean, these pr- judges t- had to have taken into account that this was the same judge. It's not going to go back 40 years later or, you know, whatever, you know, 30-something, 20-something years later and on a loss on a, a document and say, oh, I, I was wrong back then. Now, 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 now I'm going to admit 30 years after the fact that I was wrong. Like you're and you're you're not going to do that. Like you're not going to admit as a judge that you were that you didn't sign make a clear enough document. Like right. there were so many weird factors that uh, were just not in our favor. Okay, so then you did actually get overturned by the second district court and yeah. I think it was late 2018 something like that or yeah. Now, of course, everything goes slowly. So the movie was slated to come out February of this year. And, oh boy, what now? COVID. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one thing about the, the, the wheels of justice and the timing of everything. It's just, man. Yeah, it was really, it, 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 because in this year, I mean, not not that... I mean, the year has been a very weird year. I don't think anyone wants 2020 to, to continue to be a good year or continue to even be a year. But there's still, uh, what have we got, about five and a half months left? No, seven. <laughs> oh, six and a half. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to rush the year along, too. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm thinking, I'm like wishing... I'm in a wishing well right now. Yeah, it's June 6th. Yeah, so we got, oh, yeah, give or take. But, uh, yeah, what a year. What a year. And, uh, yeah, and, and people are just so litigious, but you sort of have to adapt to the mindset. But I hope the movie does well, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, we got through it. It was a nightmare. You know, it was really depressing to have to deal with this and i i you know they froze brian's assets wow so they it was that was awful like i would never want someone to have to experience like what i had to go through over this course of time but it makes it makes the uh the defeat you know a little bit better one, it's a good film, and I guess the good thing is, no matter what, even if it you know tripped out the gate through circumstances, obviously not of itself, but with COVID, with everything else, you still have a piece of work on the record. You still have this calling card 
for another film down the road or for Cleopatra to produce a story or something like that. So that's still good. It's still out there. We, 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 you know what? We exactly, we won the movies coming out. And so, yeah, there was a lot of people that were like trying to stop us. And, and we had this great fucking underdog, like, like literally they tried to stop me and they tried to stop us and we did it. We, we beat them. So there is that element. And, like it should, like it feels really good, but at the same time, like it's just it's been so drawn out and so long that like the good, the feeling of goodness is just you're so exhausted. By the time it's like it's like a boxer in the twelfth round and you, <laughs> you don't win, and then the decision comes and you won, but like it could have went anyway. You know what I mean? And you're so tired that you're just like, good. I'll give me the give me the give me the win, and I'm gonna go home and go to bed. Well, good news. This premieres June 30th, and where can people get it? Oh, Amazon, iTunes, you know, kind of wherever. Just Google it, but I'm definitely Amazon, definitely iTunes, and maybe Netflix will pick it up, or Hulu, or, you know, nowadays with all there's so many different streaming services that it'll... it'll Make the rounds, like HBO for a bit, and then go over there. Yeah, and You can buy it on YouTube for six months, and then you can... You can watch it for free on Amazon and, and, you know, three months later, and then it's uh, on iTunes and then Showtime, a license. Hey, the, 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 that's a whole other channel. That's a whole other five other conversations where it is the streaming galaxy. Well, awesome. Now, where can people find out more about you? Is it jaredcohen.com and it's Cohen without any, without any, yeah, just you know, type my name in. Like, happy, happy to have you as a uh, new follower, Jared Cohen. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands, or you can go to unstructuredpod.com, and there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. What Was That Like might just be the most intriguing podcast you'll ever hear. Each episode is a conversation with a regular person who's been through an extremely unusual situation, like Jeremy, who was bitten by a rattlesnake, or Jennifer, who accidentally killed someone, or Luke, who got caught smuggling cocaine. Real people in unreal situations. Listen and subscribe at whatwasthatlike.com. Laughter, tears, celebrities, newsmakers, anecdotes, and recipes. Wait, I was wrong. They don't do recipes. You can't hear food. Join host Randall Kenneth Jones, a man who is not the original cowboy in the village people, and announcer Susan C. Bennett, a woman who is the original voice of Siri, every week on Jones.show, a podcast so accessible, its name is a web address, www.jones.show.